Welcome to the Sharp Angles Prop and DFS show for the week between the conference championship and the Super Bowl. I am your host, Todd Burrows, and I'm joined by both my postseason partners, Ryan McChrystal, who's going to give us props by position based on the early uh, lines that are out there, and Adam Wildey, our showdown expert, and we are going to discuss some deeper strategies on playing showdown slates and how it affects what we are looking at on very early ownership projections. But we will use this episode more to talk about process than the best plays, although we'll touch on a little bit of it. And then next week, we're going to come back. We're going to check in with Ryan on his props and see if there's any changes. And Adam and I will go through the, the, the showdown slate with the ownership and kind of give you some strategies to possibly get some money down on the big game in DFS on DraftKings. And don't miss out if you want even more sharps, I mean props, uh, sharp props, uh, the sharp Super Bowl package. Historically, we've been outstanding in the Super Bowl going 26 and 10 lifetime on Super Bowl sides and totals. Get 50% off, $50 off our Super Bowl package using the promo code SB58. So go to the Sharp Football website and get $50 off our Super Bowl package using the promo code SB58. Also, if you could please subscribe and give the thumbs up on our YouTube channel or rate and review the podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. And now, let me introduce both Ryan McChrystal and Adam Wilde. How are you guys? Doing well. Excited to dive into the Super Bowl. Doing yeah. Good. I mean, you know, let's just spend a, 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 a second to talk about um, the conference championship games. Um, every, you know, on the NFC side, the big news was everyone just crushing Dan Campbell for some of his decisions. Um, you know, I came down on the side of analytics is obviously good, but the sample size on some of these decisions is so small. Um, you know, I, I, I'm i not saying he should have kicked the field goal, but I more had a position, Ryan, that they should have ran the ball on third down and given themselves a better option. Um, your thoughts on that? I mean, my feeling as far as the overall approach is if Dan Campbell doesn't have that aggressive mindset, they're not in the NFC Championship game to begin with. That's their identity. The players love it. It's why people love playing for him and coaching uh, for him. And so you, if you take that away, they're not there in the first place. So you got to just stick with who you are in the big games. And sometimes it hurts you because in a small sample size of one game where it's you know three or four major decisions, you might go over three, you might go one for four or something like that within one game. But in the long run, you play the percentages, you're going to you're going to come out on top. And in general, for the most part, people love being a part of those types of teams. Adam, the other game saw the Baltimore Ravens, one yeah. of the best running teams. And I probably should have thrown this differently because Ryan has you know talked all season about uh, the Kansas, uh, you know, the last six weeks about the. How, how easy it is to run on Kansas City. Baltimore, the number one, you know, one of the top running games in football, yep. and they barely ran the ball against the Chiefs. 
Um, Adam, your thoughts on that game and how yeah. surprised were you uh, by the way that game ended up? Yeah, that was really tough to watch. It, I mean, Lamar got a lot of criticism for for how he played, but there was a couple plays in that game that no other quarterback in the in the world currently or maybe ever uh, uh, could possibly make. But also, just the position that um, Todd Munkin put him in was pretty tough. I mean, you didn't do any running to set up any play action, and you just had him basically play as a statue and throw the ball deep uh, consistently. I mean. Their uh, pass rate over expectation was just insane, like something you would never assume. Um, my, I, I live in the Baltimore area, and my uh, Ravens friend called me to vent. I was talking to him about it. I said, it's kind of crazy that the addition of Todd Munkin is certainly what got you to the AFC Championship, but if you would have had Greg Roman for the AFC Championship, you probably won, and then you could have just switched back to Todd Munkin for the Super Bowl. <laughs> It's very interesting, Ryan. I got to throw it to you on this one also. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point that Adam brings up. And, you know, we sort of touched on it, not exactly in these terms, but we did bring up last week how in these big games, it can sometimes be tough to predict because teams will purposely go against their trends. And it seems like that's what they tried to do. It, big picture, I don't think it's a, necessarily a bad idea, but they did when it, when it wasn't working out that well, they didn't adjust back to what they do best quickly enough. And I, I think that's that was my biggest takeaway from that game. Yep, yep, I, I agree. Let's uh, move on to the Super Bowl. So the way that we're going to do this is Ryan has four props. We're going to get the first two now. Then I will ask Adam some questions that are more set on um, – you know, giving you guys who don't play showdown very often some big picture thoughts on that. We'll come back to Ryan's other two props, and then we'll finish up with a, a, a little bit more of a game-specific uh, questions for Adam on the game. So, Ryan, uh, you, you, you've got a uh, prop for Mr. Brock Purdy at longest rush under eight and a half yards. I mean, Mr. Purdy certainly took off uh, more than we have seen from him in the last game, and he definitely got over it last week. Uh, explain your thoughts behind why you don't think it's a good bet to be over on it uh, in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, oh, that's definitely one of you the know, problems. You, you, you know what? I, I, I forgot. I meant to ask you, by the way, you know, we do a show, you come up with props, um, give us an overall view first and then go into Brock Purdy on your thoughts on doing props for a game like this. Yeah, for sure. Because obviously it's a little bit different when we've got one game and we're trying to find multiple props that we like on it. During the regular season, it's fairly rare that I'd give out more than one prop on a single game because we got a full slate to really pick and choose the matchups that we like. But obviously here, it's you know it's more fun to have a little bit of action. So we're going to try between this week and next week's show, I'll probably give out six to eight total props and you know as of right now i don't know that any of the props i give out i would give out during the regular season i think this is a really tough matchup you know one of the things that i try to look at when you know when we get deeper into the playoffs and we're narrowing down the pool of options that we have is i try to look at the game just sort of like what what's the what's the most likely game flow gonna be like can, can i eliminate some scenarios to try to narrow things down you know like last week with the ravens that was one of the factors I took into account. I, I just I couldn't really see either team winning uh, a 
in a in a big way. A blowout either way just didn't seem plausible to me. I thought felt very confident about a relatively low scoring game that could go either way, and that informed my props. And sure enough, it, it worked out pretty well. It we went two and zero on the props we gave out for that game. And you know, if you hit on the game full, you're probably going to hit on the props as well at a pretty high rate. In this case, I, I guess maybe I would lean towards saying the most likely scenario is a similar similar to the Ravens Chiefs game, but anytime Patrick Mahomes is involved, you got to think, you know, shootout is always a possibility. And the 49ers have the potential to keep up in a shootout if Kansas City is able to pick up the pick up the pace. So I could see either team winning a low scoring game. I could see either team winning a shootout. I could see either team winning in a blowout too. Like Mahomes, of course, Mahomes can, you know, lead them to put up big points and maybe Purdy makes a few bad mistakes as we've seen him do a couple times and Kansas City wins running away 38, 13 or something like that. Or the flip side, we've seen Kansas City struggle plenty of times against good defenses this year. And we, you mentioned already, Kansas City has a rough run defense. Maybe McCaffrey just runs all over them and San Francisco dominates and their defense holds up. And it's like an easy, you know, 31-14 win for the 49ers. Like basically every, every possible game flow option feels like it's on the table. So that has made approaching these props, I feel like, pretty pretty hard to do overall. Uh, all right. So now, um, you know, do you want to continue with Brock Purdy? Yeah. So Brock Purdy, this was one of the first ones that jumped out to me. And it's not it's not really so much about the matchup, which is one of the reasons why it did jump out. Because like I said, this matchup can kind of go a number of different directions. But Purdy's longest rush, it's available at eight and a half yards. I like the under partially because I think this is a little bit of an overreaction to the championship game where we saw him run a lot. He's only gone over this number uh, six times in 18 games this year. So a pretty strong trend toward the under to begin with. And like we saw last week, Purdy is a good scrambler. He averages 9.1 yards per scramble, including the playoffs. Only Kyler Murray is better. So he picks his spots. And when he does take off, he's good. But he only averages 1.2 scrambles per game. So the odds of him actually, you know, taking off and hitting the over on this aren't great. He only scrambles on 3.2% of his dropbacks, well below the league average of 5%. And, you know, you also have to factor in, you know, the run game is Kansas City's weakness. So having a very run heavy game script for the 49ers, you know, at least out of the gate is likely to be the game plan. It's kind of what they want to do anyway. So if, if that goes well for them, if they're, either in a close game or controlling the game, they're not. he's not going to be dropping back to pass at a very high rate either. So he doesn't scramble at a high rate. If he doesn't need to drop back at a high rate either, it, you know, it, greater uh, greater factor in just in terms of lowering the odds that he takes off and has a 10-yard run or something like that. I, I think you're, with the line where it is, you're basically banking on like one long run. And so, like I said, it's not too much about the matchup. It, it is mostly just to got... Um, betting against where people are going to overreact because the overreaction i think is to take the over here and so i think we've i think it's in our favor to take the under and just bet against what we saw last week all right at running back you've got uh, the aforementioned christian mccaffrey and you are interested in his longest rush over 17 and a half yards yeah longest rush for christian mccaffrey actually we're only talking about longest props today just by coincidence longest whatever for a few different guys this one is a little bit more matchup based, although we do have a, a decent trend with McCaffrey hitting the over. He's gone over this number in 11 of 18 games 
this year. But as we said, you know, Kansas City's defense is their weak link, and we've played longest rush props against them and have been fairly successful throughout this season, especially the second half of the year. McCaffrey is just one of those guys that if you don't create early contact against him, he's going to gas you for big plays at some point. And Kansas City, that's that's their that's where they struggle the most in terms of their run defense. They contact the ball carrier at or behind the line of scrimmage on only 37% of attempts. That's the second lowest rate in the league. And so against the, that's a, just, just a really bad matchup against a guy like McCaffrey. When he is not contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage, he averages 8.1 yards per attempt, and 12% of their, those carries go for at least 15 yards, which is the third highest rate in the league. So he's just one of these runners who's just – I mean, it's – it's why he's great. He's got the great combination of explosive ability and vision. So if you're not going to disrupt him at the line of scrimmage and you're going to let him hit the designed hole at a pretty high rate, he's going to break off some big runs. So this is just a this prop is just a really good matchup of strength versus weakness in terms of McCaffrey and the Chiefs run defense. Love it. Um let's go to Adam uh, I know we've touched on it some in some of our other podcasts, but give us some of the key differences for those who might not normally, as I mentioned, play showdown, but are enticed by the big game, want to have some DFS action. What are the major differences between regular daily fantasy and showdown? And let's start with the, the concept of the captain mode and how there are no positions per se in your lineup. So captain is by far the most important decision that you're going to make on a showdown slate. The first thing that you're going to do is identify which team that you feel like you're going to heavily stack does not always necessarily need to be the team that wins. Although it's hard for a team that loses by like five or more to end up being the optimal um, stacking option, but you will establish what team that you're going to stack first, and then you're going to choose your captains, usually based off of that. Sometimes you can get away with what we would call a 2-4 with um, one of the maybe wide receivers from the losing team or the non um, winning stack team and then their quarterback or something like that, or maybe uh, a running back and then four players from the other team. Sometimes you'll get away with that. But what I want people to consider when they make their captain, when you figure out which team that you want to stack, Think about when Josh Allen is 25% owned at captain, okay? And when he hits at captain, you cannot, you will not cash if you don't have Josh Allen at captain. That's why it's so important to pick the right captain. If you get a captain that is, say, 10% owned, that leaves a little bit of wiggle room because let's say most contests are paying out the top 23% if you get a good contest. You've got about 13% there. But the other captain is almost definitely going to correlate to the optimal captain. So, what that means is when you're building your lineups, consider who your captains are and then build your lineups around who else would succeed based on your captain having success. Because if you don't hit on your captain, um, you are not going to have a profitable profitable day. And also, it's not remember that there are three point bonuses on DraftKings, uh, three point bonus for 300 yards passing, three point bonus for 100 yards rushing and three point bonus for 100 yards receiving. Well, you also get 4.5 for that. So if you have a ton of, say, Debo Samuel in your lineups, but you don't have any of them at captain, if Debo Samuel has a phenomenal day, you're probably still going to get obliterated, even though you were way overweight on the field. If you didn't have them at captain, you might as well not be overweight to the field because you're going to get obliterated by the teams who played Debo Samuel at captain. So also be cognizant of who you played at captain. And if you didn't play that player at captain, 
you should by default be underweight on them uh, as opposed to the field. Interesting. So if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is of, let's say there's four or five guys that you're really considering for captain yep. and you choose player A to have a heavy ownership, right? You 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 do 20, uh, 20 um, max most Correct. of the time. Yep. So, you, you know, you're not going to want to split that up between six or seven guys. Correct. So if you if there's four or five captains worthy players, you're likely to pick one or two of them for most of your ownership. Absolutely. And then you want to be below the field on the other guys yeah. that you were considering because they're not in the captain, you need them to not do well. Did I get that yes. correct? Yeah, absolutely. And on on 20 max, I'm usually and I think I've established by the times that I've been on the show that I'm a little bit more um, uh, accepting of risk because I do want that top 1% finish. So uh, four is usually okay if you're playing 20 max. If you want to go with four captains, that's fine. You might, might only get three lineups with one guy. I like to have two or three. And my favorite thing to do is to play um, just the quarterback and his primary receiver build 20 lineups around those two doing well, and then just alternate which one is in the captain spot. It's especially awesome when they're similar price. Awesome. So um, I had a later question on this, so I'll, I'll, I'll save it and try and remember the angle that we wanted to talk about. Another key factor in showdown slates is that defense and kickers are part of showdown slates where we're not used to playing defense and kickers anymore. Typically, when do you tend to want to use these options? And do you think this slate is a good one for using them? This is like my favorite part. This is for like the nerds of the world to just kind of really nail down. I mean, most people just overlook kickers and defense, but you can really nerd out over how you utilize these guys. Um, there's a lot of different rules that I follow. For one, if the defense is really highly owned, then I usually won't play them uh, and vice versa. But other things that are showdown specific to consider is that if you're going to run an onslaught, which means five players from one team, generally, well, first of all, the one player from the other team, you would not want to be the defense. Uh, and then for two, you should strongly consider the team. Uh, the team defense for the team that you are creating the onslaught around. So if you have five San Francisco 49ers, you have a very, very good shot of their defense being in the optimal lineup because clearly the Kansas City Chiefs will have not scored a lot of points. So that does not mean that if you run an onslaught that the 49ers defense needs to be in every one of your lineups. But if you're running a lot of onslaughts, you should have a lot of the 49ers defense. The other thing that I personally don't like to, to do, and I have no data supporting this, I cannot stand when I run a five by one or a four by two with the defense of the of the team that I'm favoring, and then I run the opposing kicker because it drives me crazy when I lose points from my defense at the same point as getting, gaining points from my kicker. Don't have any data supports that that's that's not uh, a winning strategy, but I cannot stand when that happens. Probably because I lost a tournament because. Uh, of a late field goal, um, taking points. I gained points for the field goal, took points away from my defense. So that's another strategy that I, uh, or another rule that I tend to place. That is really good information. And I, I am very happy that you gave it to us. Uh, I wish we had two hours so I could just continue to pick your brain on some of these strategies, but 
uh, at least we're giving the people out there um, some of the most important thoughts on on how to do these things. So my next question is, you mentioned that you like to play the quarterback. I know some really good showdown players who don't like using quarterbacks in the captain spot. And the justification that they've used is that captains tend to be over-owned compared to the amount of time they win. Um, your thoughts on that and, and why you like to use captains of uh, that are quarterbacks. You, I mean, this could be a two hour show by itself. There is, there is definitely, um, data to support the, the, the thinking that you should not play quarterback. You're going to, I mean, you're going to miss out on a ton of slates if you do that. But I guess over time, if you never play quarterback at captain, I guess it could work out. I can tell you exactly why people don't like playing quarterback at captain. It's because other positions, if you play Brandon Ayuk, Brock Purdy's probably going to be in the flex, but the rest of the lineup doesn't really matter. There's little correlations that you can make that are going to make a little bit of a difference, but Generally, you can play Brandon Ayuk at captain. You can play Brock Purdy in the flex, and you're probably going to be successful if Brandon Ayuk is the optimal captain. If you play Brock Purdy at captain, you can single stack him, double stack him, triple stack him, quadruple stack him. Any of those four options could could uh, be the optimal outcome. So if you play Brandon Ayuk at captain and he's the optimal captain, you're likely to have a great day. If you play Brock Purdy at captain and he's the optimal captain, but he's the optimal captain with a triple stack, I mean, you could have a million Brock Purdy double stacks and you just didn't have enough of the players that he brought with him and you don't have a profitable day. I will say the quarterbacks outside of um, like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson are typically like sub 15% ownership. So it's not too, too crazy to play them. They probably are the optimal captain at about 10% of the rate. So maybe if they're own 15% of the time you give a little bit of a, of a disadvantage there. And that's why people say that. Um, but 10% of the time is not bad odds. And it's easy to throw the quarterback in there when you like so many players in an offense, because if all of those players hit, um, you have the quarterback and he's kind of the umbrella of the whole thing. And again, I can't wait to kind of come back to this next week when we do a more specific show and ask you, uh, when you've had more time to study and and really, you know, uh, so here's a question that wasn't on the show sheet, but I think is a really good question. Um, ownership, right? Yeah. Ownership in showdown versus a regular DFS slate. How much more important is it or less important is it? And, and how should we look at ownership differently on a showdown slate? Ownership is everything on a showdown slate. If you think it's a big deal on main slate, then just multiply that by a trillion. Um, but the thing about it that's a little bit different is like on main slate, when you have 13 games, you could almost set a rule for the Millie maker. If you were maxing the Millie maker that like, I don't want any players over 15% and you could still come away with a pretty good lineup. That's pretty close to uh, the average median projection, but on showdown, it's so much different for one. You cannot, you, you cannot set that rule because there is 1,000% going to be a player that's over 50% owned that you had to have. There's probably going to be multiple players that are over 50% owned that you had to have. So it's very, very difficult. There's a couple things you can do. You can do cumulative ownership. Um, 
You can do product ownership. Both of them um, are, I mean, they're, they're fine because they're your only options for sorting ownership for Showdown, but they don't really have a lot of context. So the hardest thing by far on Showdown slates when you're doing 20 max or more is how are you going to sort your ownership. I don't even sort ownership anymore. I don't even try because I don't feel like I've found enough of an advantage between product owner cumulative ownership to to even limit it. Because the problem is like, say that you have a slate where you needed Christian McCaffrey, and this isn't one of them, but in the past couple of weeks, we've had slates where it was like, Hey, you just have to have Christian McCaffrey. Say you have to have him. Well, that's 90% cumulative ownership there. That means that you're talking about your cumulative ownership being in like the 400%. And if you are playing a normal showdown slate and you go limit your cumulative ownership to like 290 on every slate, well, then you're going to get zero Christian McCaffrey because it's impossible to fit the rest of the 49ers if you played Christian McCaffrey. So ownership is so, so difficult. I would say... Um, my favorite type of lineup is I don't care about three players. I don't care if there's three players plus 75%, I don't care. And then I like to have a player that's maybe in like the 33% range, maybe another player that's in like the 20% range, and then a player that's like sub 15%. If I could have my dream ownership, that's what my lineups would look like um, to give you a fair shot at banking a tournament. Very good stuff. Again, I'm glad I asked that one. And um, I think, uh, again, we'll, we'll look at ownership from a more specific way and, and how to handle it. Um, I did have one last question before we get back to Ryan. Um, and you did touch on it already. Uh, construction. You talked about an onslaught. You talked about 4-2. Basically, what he's saying, for those of you who haven't played it before, is, is that there are six total positions in showdown slates one captain and five other people so there a lot of the strategy is based um adam on the the teams and you know you mix in the ownership but if if i just had to say to you you know how often do you do a three three how often a four two and how often and the other thing you have to play at least one player you can't go six mm -hmm. oh so an mm -hmm. onslaught is considered 5-1. 4-2 is going to be more popular than probably anything. And then you're going to see a, a decent amount of 3-3s. Um, give us uh, your thoughts on um, this game of, you know, because it does look like a pretty tight game. Yeah. Uh, why would you do a 3-3, 4-2, or 5-1, and why wouldn't you? That's a really tough question too. Usually I'm only playing uh, four twos and five ones. I play way more five ones than probably anybody. And I don't necessarily know. I mean, it's going to take years before I know if that's a long-term winning strategy, but I guess to take a big picture, look at that. Um, on average, you're going to have like 30 to 40% of the field playing three threes because they're the coziest builds. You don't have to take a stand on a team. You can just play three people from one team, three people from another. And then from there, it branches out 4-2 for the team that's favored is usually going to be like, I don't know, another 25, something like that. Um, and then 2-4 from the team that's not favored is probably going to be closer to like 20. And then your onslaughts for either team are going to be really low, like 10%. Okay, so those are things you need to consider when you're building your lineups. But that's not easy to say, hey, I'll never do three threes. Because guess what? When the Steelers are playing the 
Patriots in winter and it's just an ugly game and all the pricing is the same because DraftKings knows you don't want to play anybody, then fire all the three threes you want because there's no lean. But when you have pricing differences, like we, I know we're not getting too much into this week, but it's just a good example. When you have a lot of studs on the 49ers and then you have a lot of um, cheaper options on the Chiefs, it's going to dictate how you build your teams in that way. And it's such a close game. You don't really need to say, hey, the 49ers are winning this game because they're two-point favorites. No, it's probably more more of a coin flip than even the two points that they're getting, which means you don't need to feel like you need to have four or more 49ers or four or more Chiefs. But what you do need to do is be consistent. If you have 20 lineups, if if you have 20 lineups, my recommendation is if you have a single lineup that is 4-2 for the 49ers, you are done with any lineup that might be 4-2 or 5-1 with the Chiefs. I would just cut them out. I take them out of my CSV and I'm done with them. That's just how that's just how I play it because you're you're shooting for the top 1%. So if you're trying to get the top 1% and you want to bink a tournament, why would you divide your chances of winning? If your player pool is correct and your builds are correct, you want to multiply your chances of winning by keeping a tight player pool, keeping tight builds. So if you pick the 49ers and in any way, like any of your lineups are coming out, hey, 4-2, 49ers, I like that. Stick to 4-2, 5-1s, and 3-3s favoring the 49ers. All right, that's really good stuff. Let's circle back to Ryan. It feels like a while since we uh, we, 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 we ran it over to you, but um, we've got another running back that you have a prop on. It is Mr. Maximum Effort, Minimum Yardage. Isaiah Pacheco. No one works harder for less. Um, Isaiah Pacheco. Yeah, Isaiah Pacheco. I'm going to be on the under on his longest reception. It's available at 10 and a half yards. This is really it's similar to the Brock Purdy prop when we talked about that. It's really just following a trend more so than the matchup. He only has six receptions longer than this all year, including the playoffs. So in order to bet the over here, you'd really have to have some reason to expect increased usage to boost the odds of one of those playoffs is turning into a playoffs. Long... Yes, Sorry. the playoffs. They they they, <laughs> they brought they brought that back for the DraftKings commercial. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, we haven't heard enough of that over the past twenty five years. Bring yeah, sorry. I, uh, <laughs> I I had to. I, I didn't mean to, well, I did mean to interrupt you, but I'm sorry for doing so. <laughs> no worries. So as I was saying, like the odds, he has not hit this at a very high rate, only six catches over this number all season. So if you're going to bet the over, you need to expect increased usage because he's not hitting the over at a very high rate. So you're going to have to hope that he's getting, you know, four or five catches basically and hope that one of those breaks for a longer run. And I had a hard time figuring out a reason to expect that in this matchup from the chiefs perspective, going up against the 49ers defense. I don't really see any, any reason there based on their 49ers schemes. They're pretty close to league average in terms of their usage of too high, single high usage. They mix it up a lot to try to confuse teams. So I don't, I don't think we can anticipate the chiefs like leaning heavily into one, you know, uh, one game plan or another based on coverage. And then just from the, from an overall perspective, the 49ers, they don't give up a ton of catches to 49 or they don't give up an unusual amount of catches to running backs. Opponents target running backs against the 49ers 19.5% of the time. League average is 18.6%. So they're kind of league average in that regard as well. And then in terms of their their tendency to give up big plays, 
49ers give up 10 or more yards to running backs 25% of the time. League average is 24% of the time. So really any way you kind of break this down, like from a coverage scheme perspective, from like their tendency to give up big plays, the 49ers are kind of right around the league averages. So there's just not a reason to expect increased usage for Pacheco. So to bet the over, you'd just be betting on, it's like a, a blindfolded dart throw. You're hoping that one of those plays is an outlier. He's not hitting these at a very high rate, so let's play the numbers and take the under here. Awesome. All right, let's get to your last prop, which is Mr. Brandon Ayuk over 24.5 yards. That's, I mean, you know, just from doing the show with you, that's one of the higher ones, isn't it? It is on the higher end, but for a player like Ayuk, I was actually expecting this to be a little bit higher. As I said, I don't like a ton of props that are available for the Super Bowl right now in terms of like, would I play this, you know, in week 12 or whatever. This is one that I might play during the regular season as well. It's probably my favorite prop, um, at least at this point. Obviously, there's still plenty of time to research and plenty of time for numbers to move. But at this point, I think this might be my favorite prop. Longest reception for Ayuk over 24 and a half yards. And it's partially based on the coverage scheme. And we talked about this last week, actually, both from the Chiefs perspective on defense and the 49ers perspective on offense. The Chiefs, as I talked about last week, they they prefer to play too high coverage. I believe it was, I believe it's the, the second highest rate overall. However, they shift to single high against the run heavy teams because it allows them to stack the box. And we talked about that last week and how they would approach the Ravens. We were expecting them to make that shift, even though it goes against their overall trend. And sure enough, their single high usage on the year is 36%, but it bumped up to 46% against Baltimore. So that was just another data point for us to heading into this game where obviously the 49ers are also a run heavy team. I think we're going to see the same thing. I think a lot of single high coverage for them because they want to be able to stack the box at a higher rate. And then obviously, you know, if you have two safeties deep, it makes it harder to stack the box. So expecting a similar approach from the coverage standpoint, a lot of single high coverage. And with the Kansas City, that means a lot of cover one. That's their preferred uh, single high coverage. And I think this is where it really the, the matchup starts to look pretty bad for Kansas City when we dig into these numbers because the 49ers against cover one, 17% of their plays produce 20 or more yards. That ranks first in the league. That's not just focusing on a hook. That's just overall from their passing attack. So if they're going to lean into cover one because they want to stack the box, the opportunity for big plays for Purdy in the passing game is definitely going to be there. Kansas City in cover one, they 12% of plays, they allow 20 or more yards. That ranks 26th. So this is very much a strength versus weakness. So the potential for some really big plays in the passing game for the 49ers, I like it a lot. And so, you know, why are we playing Ayuk here? Digging into just their target share breakdown against cover one. We talked about this last week as well. Anytime that they think they've got a one-on-one matchup with Ayuk, it's almost an automatic check to hand that they want to, they want to test almost any cornerback one-on-one against Brandon Ayuk. So they will throw to him if Kansas City is in a lot of these looks, probably multiple times throughout the game. They'll test them downfield. 35% target share against cover one for Ayuk, average of 20.5 yards per reception, and 30% of his catches go 25 or more yards. So with with this line at 24 and a half, and basically a third of his catches are going over that when he's facing cover one, we think Kansas City is going to be playing cover one at a very high rate. If he just gets three reception three or four receptions or three or four targets in that rate uh, you know i think our odds of hitting hitting on one of those big plays are pretty good 
That's awesome information as always. You know, almost every week, Ryan, I think one thought, and after listening to you explain yeah. it, I end up saying, oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> so, um, Ryan, that was great stuff. I also want to remind everyone, if you want to get all of Sharp Football's stuff for the football, the football package right now, you can get it $50 off, and you can just use the promo code SB. That's for Super Bowl, SB58 at www.sharpfootballanalysis.com and win. All right. So let's move back over to Adam and we'll finish up the show. Um, are there any other things, uh, Adam, that we should know or rules you want to try and break in the optimizer? I know that we have talked about this a, a decent amount since we've been working together. But uh, yeah. for this slate specifically, what are some rules that you'd like to break? Yeah, so one thing a lot of people will do if you set like the standard rules for the optimizer that you're using a lot of times that uh, if you have a wide receiver or a captain, it's going to limit the number of receivers that you have from one team. But I've always hated that rule because it kind of lacks context. Like uh, the the Ravens are an excellent example of this. Like uh, their, their wide receivers are always so spread out and how they're priced that from a uh, like point per dollar perspective, they could technically still be viable together. So the rule stems from the fact that if one wide receiver goes off, then it's usually to the detriment of the other wide receiver. But that doesn't contextualize the fact that the other receiver was $1,200 and they caught one catch for 36 yards and, uh, and made value. So in that case, uh, if you're running like Rasheed Rice, captain lineups or if you're running Brandon Ayuk captain lineups so if you have Brandon Ayuk a captain you probably don't want Debo Samuel but that does not mean that you couldn't maybe fit George Kittle in there because he's 6400 and kind of you know does different things um, could get volume as well on, on any given game and then you could still include like a Jawan Jennings or something like that and if you're running Rasheed Rice then you might want to run Justin Watson um, but the other thing that I want to add to that is be careful of stacking receivers that are in the same price range because then they can detriment each other, especially when you're talking about punts. Punts are the worst thing you can do. So often when you have especially slates like this where there's so many expensive players, your optimizer is going to give – the Dolphins are the worst at this. Every Dolphin slate is a nightmare to try to fix your player pool because they want to throw in Jalen Waddle, uh, Tyreek Hill, Tua, uh, Tagovailoa, and Raheem Mostert. Well, to do that, you have uh, a – $200 receiver River Craycraft and you have like a $800 chosen but that's never going to work you're never going to get enough from those four guys to to offset the two so while we're breaking the rule that you can play more wide receivers than just your captain if you have a wide receiver and captain uh be careful of playing like multiple point wide receivers it, it never works out yeah, one of the things I do every week, whether it's a regular slate, and and I, I you know, I probably will just pick, you know, uh, I don't think I'm going to optimize up for this. I probably just throw a couple sure. uh, lineups together um, after our we talk next week. But you never know. Um, but I always, when I optimize, I always will take the low price guys. Mm -hmm. and limit the amount of them that can be in any lineup. Yeah. Right? I always, you know, like if there's 10 wide receivers under 3,500, 
-hmm. you know, I will say, uh, you know, I'll make a rule zero of two. I don't want more than two in any lineup. And then I will make other rules. So ones from the same team aren't on this, uh, Mm -hmm. can't be on the same lineup. Um, You really want to be careful with that. So I thought that was an excellent point. Um, The next question I have for you is, um, you know, let's let's talk about the captain spot. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, You know, you you talked about how there's one team that has a lot of studs and another team that doesn't. Uh, Who are some of your favorite captains as we stand today? Yeah, this is where we finally start getting into uh, field size because field size is the most important factor that you're going to consider in uh, in the Super Bowl showdown slate. You're not you're going to be hard pressed to find contests that are under twenty thousand people unless you have enough money to play like the spy and things like that, which I've done in the past. But why? If you play things like the spy on showdown, you're going away from the theoretically softer field. You kind of just have to play into the larger fields that you're not usually comfortable with and just adjust your rules a little bit so that your lineups fit those fields. So if we're talking like really small field, like you do want to play the spy, well, then Christian McCaffrey is going to be a, a fantastic captain option, the best captain option. But also Rasheed Rice being 7,600, that's too cheap. DraftKings should not have made Rasheed Rice 7,600. He should have been closer to Brandon Ayuk to make things interesting. So I I would say that Rasheed Rice is probably also one of the better captains in small field. And you can get away with playing a captain that's really highly owned in small field. When we start talking about large field, which is what most people listening to the show are going to care about, then you have to start thinking about, okay, who are the best captains because I need to play off them. So let's look at Rasheed Rice. Rasheed Rice is 7,600, and he's going to be one of the best captain options. Well, you have Brandon Ayuk. That's $1,200 more than him that Ryan just talked about earlier could have a really, really good game. So that's immediate leverage off of Rasheed Rice. It goes to the complete opposite team, same position. So it's um, it's going to play off of the people that are playing Rasheed Rice because they're probably not going to fit Brandon Ayuk into those lineups unless they make the the concerted effort, which they should. Another player that's going to give you a little I, bit of... I, I want to jump in on a second yeah, yeah. because... Um, I, I think this is an important thing that we haven't covered. Mm-hmm. In a normal slate, you don't want to leave a lot of money on the table. Meaning if there's a $50,000 uh, cap, you know, some I, I normally set it at 49.8. Uh, I know some people set it a little lower, 49.5. Mm-hmm. Um, but in showdown, one of the ways you can differentiate yourself is by leaving a lot of money. Um, so, you know, the fact that Rasheed Rice is such a good play is obviously likely to raise his ownership. Mm-hmm. So playing a guy like Brandon Ayuk um, is not only leverage on, um, you know, a similar player, but it's uh, it's leverage on higher ownership too. Sure. And and that's an excellent point to make. So I used to actually cut out like 700 because that's how bad I wanted to be unique. Um, but then I found that when I did limit the money, there was actually times where I had a full 50K lineup that was also like super unique. And I was getting rid of those lineups by cutting the dollar figure down. So I did stop cutting the dollar figure down. But what I do is I do not have a floor that I need to spend. So if there's $10,000 missing from my salary. I don't touch it. That's fine. Oh, and, and that's kind of when I do make showdown teams, I I don't limit the top end, but I, I will 
allow a lot of salary to be left on the table. Mm -hmm. Very, very good point. All right. And I did interrupt you. You were talking about captains. Let me circle back and, uh, and, and get the rest of your thoughts there. Yeah, one more, and we'll we'll get the captains more nailed down when I have a better feel of what team I'm going to go for, because like we started out with, it will matter a lot um, which team that we're going to favor is going to be the captains that we probably go with. But another player that kind of gives you a pivot off of Rasheed Rice is Isaiah Pacheco. Not only is he naturally negatively correlated because he's a running back as opposed to the wide receiver one, but he's also in the same price range, and he's $400 more, and he has a lower median projection, but he's also... a a fine option that that can have a good day. I mean, we were on David Montgomery. I wrote up David Montgomery probably two and a half paragraphs. If you read my article for um, for the DFS slates on uh, sharpfootballanalysis.com, I had like I felt like I was writing so much about David Montgomery, and it ended up working out great uh, because we we forget that we only saw seventeen games. It's not a huge sample size. It's not the NBA, right? So like. The 49ers are obviously an incredible run defense, but the Lions were also an incredible rushing offense, and it just seemed to work out for David Montgomery. Same thing for Isaiah Pacheco this week. Do I think that it's an, a fantastic game environment and a th- fantastic um, uh, matchup for him? No, but he's fantastic leverage off of Rasheed Rice, and he's probably has a better chance of being the optimal captain than he's being given credit for or that his ownership is going to indicate. All right, last question for me. And again, I don't want to get into this too deeply, but just throw out a couple low price names that uh, that should be on people's radars. Yeah, so the important decision is going to be like, especially if we end up landing on the Chiefs, it's going to be Justin Watson or Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And you're probably just going to let ownership make that decision for you because Marquez Valdez-Scantling's 3,000, Justin Watson's 2,400. I'd lean Justin Watson because he's been a more reliable target throughout the year. If this were like five years ago in showdown, I could tell you that MVS's ownership is going to be too high because he sealed the game last week. That doesn't matter any anymore. Everyone's too sharp to care that MVS caught one uh, long pass last week and and was a folk hero. It's not going to affect his ownership. So Justin Watson will probably be the higher end player, and that's going to be an important decision point to watch. Like we said earlier, do not play them together. I mean, you have a very, very low chance of two um, cheap receivers hitting. So I'm probably going to end up having more Marquez Valdez-Scantling than I do Justin Watson, even though I feel like Justin Watson is the better play. Ryan? A lot of great information out there. Any final thoughts? No, I mean, just I'll wrap up by saying like what I said at the beginning is that this is a tough slate. So I'll obviously keep that in mind. I think that's really one of the important factors with such, such especially any Super Bowl, but especially one that seems to be a really, really good matchup with a lot of possible outcomes on the table. You got to keep that in the back of your mind as you're approaching props and also DFS as well. A lot of different potential game flow uh, that has a huge impact on DFS, just as it does with the props. Awesome, Adam. Um, as always, some uh, amazing information. Ryan, I've already praised you enough. I won't do it anymore because uh, <laughs> I don't want to see you blush on camera. Um, I, I really appreciate working with you guys. It's been a great season. Uh, I'm looking forward to finishing it up strong next week. Um, and again, don't forget $50 off with the code... SB58 at www.sharpfootballanalysis.com, and we will see you next week.